Welcome back. I'm here again with Ryan Stacy. Ryan, Hello. welcome back. Thanks for having me. So, as we mentioned in the last episode, Ryan is a private UFO and paranormal investigator. And today, what we're going to discuss are some of the strangest cases that he's investigated during the course of his seven years of experience in the field, at least professionally, and roughly, were we talking about 2,800 cases, or is that just a subset? It's probably more than that. I know for sure it was close to, like, I capped a 1,000 with MUFON, 110%, closer to the 100 or 200, so that might be a variance there, because I I was happy about achieving that 1,000 milestone, and then I just on average 400 per year so i can get the specifics in the next the third interview i'll have the report and i'll have all the data and i'll share it with you it'll be fresh in my mind but i've done a lot put it this way for mufon i've investigated 95 percent more than anyone else who has been with that organization in the 50 years they've been around that's actually pretty impressive all right so of all those investigations you've done, you've mostly been able to rule out about 95% of them for a mundane potential explanation, not 100%, but 95% of them, there's some plausible explanation that may rule out anything that's paranormal or you've not been able to identify. But there's this 5%. Now, of this 5%, what are some of the strangest cases that you've seen? You know, stuff that either terrified you or just seemed so weird and beyond your own understanding you couldn't explain, or was important to the extent that people started following you, either government or other organizations that you are unaware of? So I haven't had anyone in government follow me physically. I am a private investigator. I'm quite familiar with the surveillance tactics and and what is needed to be done. And one has been quite obvious enough. If they're doing it, they're doing it remotely or they're doing it electronically. So there is evidence, I could say, of electronic surveillance. Every time I request a declassified document, I get another notification on LinkedIn because someone who wants to have a military background is taking a peek at my profile. So it's like, oh, that's interesting. I'm going to get my declassified document Soon then, I guess, because they want to know who I am and why I'm asking. Yeah. And by the way, they they definitely would not be somebody surveilling you because they wouldn't be that obvious unless they no. meant to intimidate you in some way. Right. And that's the thing. Ch- and chances and- are it's just some government employee who's curious. And the thing is, too, is we touch on the men in black phenomenon, too. A lot of people do think that they're because they have black vehicles and unmarked black uniforms, there's that assumption that they're being watched because it looks suspicious. As a private investigator doing surveillance, I'm not so, when I plan my surveillance, I'm not worried about my subject. I'm worried about what I look like to the neighbors. So if I'm parked in a tight community and I'm observing a property down the road, that guy's not going to worry about me. But everyone here is not familiar seeing this vehicle sitting some in, they're going to call the cops there. And then I'm going to be busted and all this other stuff. So to have the surveillance happen to the experiencers is very bold of them 
because unless their intent is to intimidate and to scare and to disappear or do whatever, or they're not there for you, they're perhaps another, maybe an investigator watching a house across the street and that just happens to be where they're parked coincidentally beside an experiencer. So there's a lot of associations. Yeah, plus they're not going to wear the classic men in black uniform. Yeah, right. because but, because but, we know that they would change their tact they would change their tactics, right? Right. right. But even with the men in black, the many of the cases that are often discussed are cases where they question people and the very point of the questioning is to intimidate. Mm-hmm. And it's the why they're intimidating and all these other things we'll get into. So to answer the other part about weird and strange or anything that scared me, nothing has really scared me or frightened me in a sense, but I do have some cases that are of concern because it's like, well, if this is true and I can relate and understand through the experiencer that this is terrifying, I have compassion for it. And I have a consideration of, of the experiencer because it's terrifying. So I do feel that. So as far as like weird with go, I would have to focus on the beings because the- absolutely. Aerial activity could be drones, could be machines, and I'm okay with that. And I don't know enough about drones and machines. I'm not an engineer, and I don't have time to, to figure that out. But if it looks close enough that someone like yourself, who is an engineer, I don't want to waste your time. So if it's not interesting enough, I might send you something where I'm like, look, I don't know what this is. What do you think it is from an, from this perspective? And then kind of go from there. It's these beings that really intrigue me because they don't look like species that we have, or at least we're aware of. And they mimic stories and tales from the past, but they have, some of these ones have characteristics that are unique, just like there are characteristics that are unique to human beings. What I find fascinating with some experiencer cases is not so much the fact that they drew what appears to be a gray alien or something like that. And I don't know if I have an example to prove this on my screen, but this particular gray alien has like a mole or something on their cheek. Something like that fascinates me because you saw the face close enough to see this detail. Was it an alien? Is it a human with a mole? Like, I don't know, but this mole is fixated in your memory, which showed a subspecies within that species. There's some characteristics we're able to evolve and do all these other things. So I find- Or it's just a mole. (laughs) Or it's just a mole. But I mean, it's just- these little characteristics, they have six digits or five digits or three digits on their hands, or they don't have any hands at all. You get this stereotypical being that you see in TV and movies, but yet it has this deformity or this oddity about it that makes it interesting. And for me, I don't think they're making that part up. That makes it more believable in the sense like why when you have the ability and the capability of drawing a normal alien, it looks weird as it is. But why these extra features, right? So on my website, if you go to the homepage, experiencesupport.org, and you just go to investigations, evidence, and you select the evidence categories, and you can pick whatever one you're interested in. We're going to go to beings observed. And the way I have this set up is for a quick compare and contrast to see what looks like others, but at the same time to quickly scan and find the case that I'm looking for. Because a lot of websites out there have a lot of text, no visuals, and you can't search it. So how do you search these keywords if you're not using these keywords? So I have the system set up in a way to to find fast. So, I mean, all of these ones are interesting to me. This particular... One here is a shadow figure in a doorway. So that's another thing too. Portals for some reason or or closets seem to be a pattern of where these things appear. 
What was interesting about this shadow figure to me, it didn't have a neck. So that was one of the interesting characteristics that this experiencer shared is that they were so certain that it looked odd. It was like a shadow figure, but it was different. It didn't have a neck. So things like that, again, fascinate me because the mind is associating it with what could be known, but then there's some investigative process to rule out that it's not the typical one, but it's still in this category and, it, and it's unique. And we can elaborate. If you want more details about each case, I can click on them. But so the code here, UPR 2009, that's, that's the year. So this case was closed in 2019. This particular case happens to do with a secret space program kind of idea, philosophy, where a portal had happened, humanoid beings happened to take this experiencer through some sort of time travel or space travel or whatever. This uniform specifically said NASA on it, which I thought was interesting. So here's the original drawings of that. And the scenario basically was sleeping, then all of a sudden brought to this dome facility where she met these people and she was told to get in some exotic craft and done all these other things. What I found fascinating about this is through my research that this kind of looks like a hazmat suit. There are dome facilities. We know NASA exists. So is this a secret? Is this a remote viewing or some sort of mental hijack into a secret base on another planet or this planet? So there's a lot of corroborating evidence to suggest that this experience has happened, but the archetype was agents, beings observed, humanoid. So mm -hmm. it was a mental experience. So, so that on its own, whether it carries any weight, you can say they dreamt about it, it's from TV, all those other things. But the whole point of, of doing it this way, when I add my 2020 and 21 and 22 cases to this, I'm hoping to have some that look similar, right? In order to get these drawings too, I got to work with the experiencer and then I got to recreate these to bring color to light. So that's another thing I do too. Are you the artist, the ultimate artist? Yeah. So I'm the ultimate tracer. <laughs> so for this one, for an example, Sudbury. November 30th, 2018, the archetype here would be uh, the black-eyed children. And I classify it as beings observed, humanoid, and bipedal, because it's those are the only facts that I can agree upon is that it's got two legs, it's human-like, and it's the being. The original drawing looks like this. So when I asked them to draw, right, working with them, okay, now I recreated this, I traced over that explain to me what this girl was wearing. And then they describe camo. So then I do something like that. What color was your bed? So I work with the experiencers in that way to get this because the color matters. The colors are details too. It's more data. It's more, it's visual data. So by working with the experiencers, another thing that I do too is these little recreation videos. So what's called my Tessa's Most Wanted. I basically bring you through the experiencer testimony. This is a bad example of that, but some of them have other players involved. So I kind of recreate the event as it was described. And the reason for doing that is I'm hoping that an experiencer who sees this reports and says, hey, I saw this too. And the philosophy comes from the most wanted concept from the RCMP. They put the pictures up there. And so if they've seen this, the idea is, is they're going to make a report too. What, what's, the, what's, what's the deal behind these quote-unquote black-eyed children? What's uh, common about these experiences? So from this one here, and there's another one here, same experiencer, two different nights. I also give the experiencers codes too. So I protect their identity. They get these codes, so they know what these codes are. 
and they know when they see it that this is their case that we're referring to in the reports and whatnot. But two different nights, one was a boy, one was a girl. The explanation on these types of beings was essentially waking up, seeing it on their bed, they looked at her and then came at her and then they disappeared. So what I'm understanding is these black eyed children, it's theorized that there's some sort of hybrid between the gray alien and humans. And with that theory makes me think that the greys could be fully evolved humans and from the future and things like that too. So like, it's kind of a a neat little association with these eyes, but see the black eyed children in the name of the label emphasizes specifically dark, large eyes, individuals that are either small or, or youthful. So could they be dark-eyed adults or are they just dark-eyed beings? So that's why these categorizations for both of them, it's a being observed, they're humanoid and they're bipedal. So I need to find more individuals like this in order to figure out what exactly may be seen. But in both instances, these giant black eyes are common. One's a boy, one's a female, so there's a subspecies, but it's also humanoid. There is a disease out there that has eyes bulge out of your head What's causing the eyes to be black? Who knows? So I thought those ones were interesting. Couldn't figure that out because obviously there's no source. This one here is kind of interesting. This is a photo. It appears to be... The story is... Will you tell me what it looks like if you can see it? Oh, like right here? Yeah, right now. I'm zooming in there, right to the window. Do you see that? Yeah. So Wait, the is story, that the head back? Is that the head? Yeah, it appears to be a head of some being. So the experiencer believes it to be a gray alien. So if I say that, you, you might just start seeing that now. But the story is that they saw it materialize in the street and then disappear and then reappear in this window when they took the photo. Where are the eyes? Like an eye here, an eye here? Or... Yeah, I can't see where you're pointing, but can you see my, my cursor? Yeah. Yeah. So I would suggest that the eyes are here and the mouth is there. But again, we're then, getting into this phenomenon called pareidolia, where it, right, I'm trying exactly. to make it, make it look like what she suggests based on what she believes. But I do see what appears to be an eye cavity or a place for an eye, uh, a giant cranium. This could be a mask on someone else's wall. There was no attempt to go over next door to find out what was in this window. So this is circumstantial evidence at best. But so it's this is just like a neighbor. This is like a neighbor's house. Yeah, it's a neighbor's house. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, so it's interesting, but the evidence is kind of weak in that sense. This experiencer witnessed this being, and the original drawing is here. So I worked with her to figure out that this was a different color and, and, and all these other things to get these details and the eyes and the colors from what they could remember. And when I work with them this way, it's kind of good because in terms of proving their credibility because of their willingness and they remember things and then they forget and then all of a sudden things come back. And then that kind of helps me trust that something happened. But whether it really happened or it was a dream, like all those other things can't be determined at this time. But I, I want to work with the experiencer to stop them from being afraid of this. In this particular instance, I'm not able to do that because the witness experiencer experienced sexual abuse from this creature. The experiencer experienced the theft of an unborn child 
this experiencer has evidence of having a history and trauma of not being able to conceive, then all of a sudden has visitations and then conceives and then has it taken. And then, so there's a lot of stress and trauma that kind of goes with that. And it's very sensitive and very delicate. It looks fascinating. It looks interesting, but it's terrifying because this is what molested this individual. And were you able to get medical records? The witness, yeah. So I have to go back to this case to see if this experience actually provided it. But I know that they've asked, they've done the due diligence of ruling out all these other things. So the fact of being pregnant was true. There's evidence that documents not being pregnant, having a miscarriage. There's evidence of all that stuff. There's just no evidence of an actual being. So part of the story could be extrapolated or made up or confused. I do have some medical reports that do get provided to me by experiencers if they do share it, but I have to keep that confidential. And the thing is, the purpose of me receiving these reports is so I can vet that the experiencer is telling the truth, but I, I can't make that stuff public. And that's one of the challenges that I have in this community too, is because in order for you to believe me, you want me to show the work. So that's why I do these little things that show you a little bit of the work Enough for you to come to your own conclusion. Here's the witness statement. Here's the witness testimony as it is. Here's my analysis of all the stuff, of part of the stuff that I get on my investigation. And then when I do my reports at the end of the year, you're going to get more information, the information you need to compare to the work that you've done. But you don't need to know the private details of the experiencer. And if you trust me and you trust my work, then you'll trust what I'm saying is true based on the facts. But if you don't trust me, then it doesn't matter what proof I provide because we all have these trust issues. So do you do you ever ask these experiencers to sign an affidavit? I don't, but I could. And it's a matter of when and why. That is a good point to ask. There are people that are willing, but we can't calculate the risk of what would happen when their identity is known. Because I don't want to be responsible to encourage them to come public and say, hey, I'm an experiencer and I don't care what happens. And next, you know, they die. There are circumstantial things and there is enough that we don't know that would justify not leading them down this what if path. What we're trying to do is at least have this community to understand, to get more data, what's going on and to live with it. That's where the support comes in with EA, Experiencers Anonymous and referring them so that way they can find other people and deal with it in private so they can live their lives. We don't want to deal with it to get public dis disclosure or confirmation. We already know in this instance that this is happening and we know that the government's not going to tell us anything, but we need to live. We need treatment. We need therapy. We need resources, right? So to sign an affidavit would be helpful if my intent was to get global disclosure but at the same time, I'm exposing an individual to identifying them. So what I'm also planning on doing with this data, once I have more, another layer of that is instead of approaching the disclosure phenomenon as a release of information, is focusing the emphasis on the need for mental health acceptance so that way these people could at least talk to their family doctor and therapist without being locked up to rule out whether or not these are actual psychological things. And when I have private people who are psychologists and weigh in on that, 
I believe them when they believe that this is not normal, but we can't come forward with this evidence without exposing the identity of the experiencer and exposing the credentials of these psychologists. And at the same time, by me saying I have all these people that don't exist, I could be lying about that too, right? So it's like, it's, it's a really, it's a really dangerous thing. So for me, I don't care as much as proving to the whole world or to anybody. It's just working with these experiencers, getting enough data so I can come to the right conclusion to provide them the right connection. And then I trust the expert opinion of these private sectors to put this information out to the public. And if we put it out to the public in such a way where those who know catch on to what we're doing, they'll approach me. And that happens. Right people say- ha- whoa, 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 stop right there. That people have approached you from, when you say people have approached you, you're talking about just experiencers? Or are you talking about people from the government or other entities that are in the know? Well, I haven't been contacted by entities unless I have a personal experience that is of that download variety, but I believe it to be human source or myself. But I haven't been approached by uniform government agencies or anything. But what I'm saying is, is people within the UFO communities who are doing the same work on the research Mm -hmm. and academic side, acknowledge the work that I'm doing, who have these degrees and scientific backgrounds that I don't have, because I'm just a college degree, self-taught private investigator that's doing a basic level, a compare and contrast, preparing a criminology report for some lawyer or for somebody else to take it and then solve these answers. So by doing its approach, it it seems to connect with other peoples in other circles. But then again, we look into that electronic surveillance. I'm getting NORAD looking at me and I'm getting people, people that work for NORAD. I got people that work for Transport Canada. I have people that work for the Department of Defense. But is that in response to me requesting these freedom of information requests on the UFO documents? Or are they just curious too? Or are they individuals who happen to be a fan and they don't know as well? Because they could be experiencers too. So... I'm careful with what I put out because I also need to test the response. So if the men in black do exist, they should show up at my door because I've done enough. But as we mentioned earlier, maybe they change their tactics and they don't want to be so obvious. This being here is interesting. It fits in this paracrypted category. So we call it being observed paracrypted, which essentially is a not normal cryptid. Classified it as a hybrid based on the fact that it's bipedal, but appeared to have some aquatic features, the webbed hands Mm -hmm. and webbed feet. This particular being was observed. So this is the original drawing. Running across a forest area in Ontario, there were multiple witnesses of it and made a shriek and made a noise. The witness happens to be educated in environmental sciences, I believe, and was quite credible in the sense of understanding the sounds that animals make to locate them, to understand, and claims that the sound that was made was not normal or fit to any category. I passed this off to uh, a gentleman named Alex Mistretta. He is a cryptozoologist. His background is anthropology. And he also is a former MUFON guy and diving into the extraterrestrial stuff. And he had led to the conclusion that this resembles the Dover demon. I don't know if I can bring that up here. Dover demon. So here are some quick images of the Dover demon there. 
And then the question to that is simply, why is that Dover Demon in Ontario? So it's in Dover, England, right? I believe so. I don't know, somewhere. Either way, a little farther away from home. So how are they seeing that? And is that exactly what they saw? But it was close enough to get these details. It doesn't look like an animal, doesn't look like a wolf, doesn't look like a bear. We're in Canada, right? It's got this giant head that looks like an alien. It's got these teeth. It's got these webbed fingers and it's running. And there's multiple witnesses on it. So the evidence suggests that there was a creature that was seen, right? So that's kind of in that paracryptic category. And I don't know if this was a mental experience. No, we classify that as a close experience. Extraterrestrial is the archetype. Um, and then, yeah, subtype five, yeah. To get into the details of that, you have to use the classification system, which I can show you too. This particular case, shadow figures with the red eyes standing around their bed. Nothing too fancy around that because that's the typical. But when you compare and contrast with other cases, this case here has multiple beings. So we'll talk about that one. Just as a quick reference, here's another shadow figure type being, but without the red eyes. And if you look at that image compared to this image here, there's some similar characteristics. So I'm starting to see some patterns in what these people are seeing. So are they actually seeing shadow figures? Are they actually black masses? Or are they in some paralyzed state that uh, prevents them from seeing clearly? Are they using technology that appears this way? You know, what exactly is happening? So there's another cloak as well. And then this five-digit hand that's pale gray. So that could be extraterrestrial, could be a gray. We don't know because we can't see their face. This other thing, because experiences don't witness anything, all the same details. And that's why in the police case, you investigate all the witnesses to, to see what they all see to get your persona of the actual alleged criminal, right? So this particular case is where I created this hybrid category because there's evidence of ET contact. There's evidence of multiple beings, evidence of technology being used, sci energy, all these other things. And then there's residual evidence left behind. So that this experiencer has markings, bruises. And these drawings all come up with me asking them what to draw and, and focus on and emphasize. And part of their healing process is getting it onto paper and realizing it. Because if they don't want to submit it after they draw it, they don't have to. So this has also helped me by working with the experience or trust the credibility that they believe this has happened to them. And they also accept the possibility it could be normal, but they don't know what it is either, right? So in this particular instance, we have multiple gray beings. We have what appears to be a hat man, which fits in that shadow figure category or men in black. But all we can say, this is a being that has an odd shaped head, which appears to be wearing a top hat, but we don't know it's a hat, right? Mm -hmm. And you got these other ghostly kind of shadow forms that are appearing in this doorway. And you get this being, so here's a cloak, but this hand here has uh, claws. And in the image, I'll show you that at the top, the, the skin is green. Then you have another experience at another case. Is this the same being as this? We don't know. But in this particular instance, the face was made out. This similar, wearing the cloak, there's a blue background. You've got three digits in a thumb, and it's gray. 
but again, no face. So there's still more evidence to suggest this, but they're still lacking evidence because the experiencers don't know what to remember. And what's neat about doing these cases is I'm starting to get more with my 2020 and 2021 cases. These are repeat experiencers. So now that they've learned what evidence is lacking, the next time they have an experience, they're paying attention a little bit more and giving more information. Mm-hmm. But have to take in consideration that now they might be embellishing on it a little bit, which is why another reason I protect their identity, because they get no profit from it. We do in terms of the monetization you see on the YouTube channel and as you see on the website by the traffic, but that's still peanuts in comparison to the work that's put out on it. So when the experiencers don't want to gain any money or any profit from it, I take that in consideration. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't. I'm just going to play this video so you can see the difference of scenarios here because I've added color. Some of these bruises are intense. Is that if I can? So even on this image here, so we got two different types of auras around these beings, two different colors two different sets of hands, two different, sometimes the face was seen, sometimes the face wasn't. So when the experiencer has the opportunity to put a face in there and they don't, that's interesting as well, right? So this cloak is common. And then you see this being here that doesn't have a cloak, but similar hands. Does that mean that it's this being? So there's still a lot of missing information to do this compare and contrast, but this particular experiencer is is experiencing all of it. And then, of course, they classify it and all these other things, too. So these are these are my weird ones, but they're drawings. So I'll just stop my screen there. But that's the thing is it's it's analogical evidence. It's not a strong piece of evidence. A journalist can't write an article about it. A director can't make a movie about it or a documentary about it. I'm sure they can make a movie about all this stuff. They do it all the time, but still weak on the evidence scale. So once we get this one photo of an extraterrestrial. So hypothetically speaking, that one picture I showed earlier of Mm -hmm. what appeared to be an extraterrestrial in a window, if that was true and that was an extraterrestrial and it was captured in that photo, then that would reinforce all these drawings. If we can associate that this by the way that it looks, but is that being the same being subspecies and all these other things, which is why we want to make contact, which is this getting into the psychogenic aspect, the psychological part, or the using the mind where there's a group of people that have the ability to channel. Are they channeling the right question? Are they channeling and asking for the right information? Or is it a spray and pray scenario? Whereas if I can find the crux of it all is to take all this data, find the right experiencers that are experiencing the right things, get them all in a room and do a blind experiment where, hey, I need you guys to channel and meditate, draw what you see in real time, have that documented, and then be like, okay, well, how is it? This is kind of like a remote viewing experiment, right? Mm -hmm. How is it that everybody in this room with all these variances and this data report that I already have, how are they seeing the whole thing? But then the challenge is, how do they know I didn't rig it? That's when you get into these people that are doing the same work and they come publicly and then they get attacked by social media and then they get attacked by all these other things and and then they disappear for a little bit, then they come back. So how do you trust these individuals? Because there's a lot of criticism out there. 
So in order to get these solid answers for disclosures, we need more people to come forward that are confident in saying, hey, I'm an experiencer. And what I'm hoping that we're able to reinforce by having more experiencers come forward at the same time simultaneously. And then when I get to that approach where it's like, hey, Canadian government, I'm not going to ask you to tell me about UFOs because that's not going to happen. But I need you to acknowledge that all these people have different walks of life and we've ruled out all these things and they're still stuck with some psychological trauma here. So how about some funding for some mental health supports to rule out the possibility that aliens exist? So therefore I'm asking the right question with the right data to the right time to get them to acknowledge the need to with mental health supports, because it also gives them opportunity to label and to do all these other things and to disseminate or do whatever, like what they're doing with Uvology, which we talked about in the previous episode, or what I think they're doing with Uvology, the business of that. But in the meantime, it gets the mental health support so experiencers can stop living in fear. And if these beings have negative intentions, we need to learn ways to process that. In some cases with hypnosis, I've learned that some experiences have believed they were molested by extraterrestrial beings for 50 years they go through hypnosis they go back to the event and they describe their stepfather and then all of a sudden it becomes a criminal case that needs to be reported so there are things like that that do happen so i spend a lot of time weeding out the normal things which is why when 95 percent of it is normal it makes it hard for me to believe that this is possible but there's still this five percent that i've shown I'm smart enough to understand that that's not normal. And that is information that doesn't exist because I do believe I do have my own biases and personal experiences to think that it's possible. But to stay on that middle path, I have to remove these labels. I have to recategorize and regroup and restudy. And the only thing that I can really focus on or put my hat in that is a constant is that I know for a fact that if I change the way that they feel, the evidence that I get will be better than the evidence that everybody else is getting because I've gotten the trauma and then I've gotten the testimony and then we have better evidence and better research to put out a fair and regulated assessment on what may be going on. And then from there, everybody else can put their opinion and and blow it all up and change it out of context. But at least for me, I can say, okay, you know what? It could be extraterrestrial. These people are not hurting you, so it's safe to do so. Maybe try and communicate to them, get some more answers. We're passing on and do all these other things, blah, blah, blah. But that's what the support team does. I don't do that because sometimes I have to tell them that this is not an extraterrestrial spacecraft. This is a light refraction from the reflection off the roof that's on the bottom of this photo. And then they get upset because they're like, I believe it to be an alien and you don't know anything you're talking about. And they're like, well, here's some resources for some uh, mental health support for you to deal with that because it doesn't change the fact. And I'm not saying they're all mentally ill. What I'm saying is the mental element. They're victims of trauma, PTSD. Exactly. That needs to be handled so that way we can get better evidence. Same thing with any victim of crime, a motor vehicle accident or instances of suicide, like all these other things, they break their mind, but they're still credible people and they got to be rehabilitated because something traumatic happened and then they're indexing that event. So if I get this report now and then they go through all these stages and they work on it and they change their mindset and they're still having these experiences, 
Okay, maybe it's legitimate or it's genuine, or maybe there is a mental illness that that schizophrenia exists, but I'm not a doctor. And until they go and they get diagnosed or they go and do these tests and they don't meet these markers, then we're like, okay, so, you know, this is possible. But then where is it coming from is the, is the other level? Is it coming from this space and time, future, present, another place on earth? There's a whole bunch of other things that need to be determined. And I will work on that in future years once I'm done my baseline report to narrow down the, the ideal experiencer under the ideal circumstances to privately prove that. Am I going to be able to publish those results? Probably not because that exposes people. But for me, I had an experience of some sort of mental hijacking. So I can share my screen again. And the reason why I'm doing this, my why, is because I'm an experiencer too, and I want to know what happened to me. And at the same time, not lose my mind, because I could be mentally ill as well. But on our website, if you go to symbols and icons in the About Us section, you'll see a bunch of symbols and icons. So this map is an image created by myself through what we understand was a psychogenic download on December 21. This looks like, it, this looks like, the, like the, the yin and the yang and the Templar round table. There's a lot of symbolism here that's familiar to me. The purpose of meaning remain a mystery. However, we have come to see this as a map of possibility, a location, as well as an individual personalities and skill sets. The map has been used to guide some of the aspects of the Experiential Sports Association. And then over the years, Ryan and other members of the association have been trying to decipher what appears to be a message from the future. So that is our marketing pitch to explain that, to make it curious. But for me, it was during the time of leaving MUFON and not knowing what to do with this idea or this need to help the experiencers and how I was going to do that. So I was in a place of sadness and depression and trauma, learning that this organization was not as good as it is on the surface and ugly on the inside and having all these proof and evidence and non-disclosure agreements to be able to say the things that I know. What do I do for the people? And then I get this vision in my mind, which I've labeled the map, and I can't get it out of my mind. And I'm obsessing over it. And I had a two-hour drive to come back to the house. And then I created this image on digitally on the computer. But when I created it, there was no suggestive thought or creative element of like, should the color be here? Should that symbol be there? I just started and then I finished and I don't remember in between. And then when I was done, this feeling of whatever it was during this experience just disappeared. I'm left with this with no answers. So what am I supposed to do with it? After spending some work on it, I'm like, okay, those look like some symbols that are familiar with me. And then as I start getting into research and learning new experiences, and I come back to the math, and then I start to learn things like, oh, yeah, that is a yin-yang symbol underneath the Templar's cross. This is a Star of David or a Seal of Solomon. That is a Anunnaki symbol for God. So what do these things have in common. So I have a bunch of research around that. What do these colors mean? What do these symbols mean? What do these symbols mean on top of these colors? So, so that's me trying to so figure what's the, what's the symbol in the middle of the Star of Day? That looks like upper Futhark runes. Where are we talking? Up here? No, right in the center of the Star of David on the center of the table. Yeah, those yes. look like runes. Yeah, so these, that's the symbol here, actually. So this is the icon in the Sumerian cuneiform glyph representing on the divine personification of the sky, 
king of the gods and ancestors of many of the deities in ancient Mesopotamian religion. This pictograph pronounced Dinger has many translations depending on its use. The symbol means sky god when used as a noun and means am, to be or to remain when used as a verb. Ryan, myself, chose the sign to represent the Tessa brand on the notion that this was the first recorded image used to identify our creator or creators and thus consider the original source, cementing the concept that we are all one and united forever. So we believe this icon highlights probable truths about our ancient past and is used as a point of reference when investigating the unexplained phenomenon. So that is through the research that I learned about that symbol, because if ancient Samaria is the first civilization that exists, and this is their symbol that they use to personify their God, that is the closest thing to source that we'll ever have. So... This is cuneiform. These are on a clay tablet. They would use this little device and a hammer and on clay, and they would make these impressions to do that. And this symbol gets associated with a whole bunch of other things too. Again, I'm associating what these things mean. I don't. Now, why is there twelve of these? Well, see, that's the thing is I don't have instructions. I just got this image, and I'm left high and dry to figure this out. And what I find interesting is as I show this map, as I get into it, and I make these associations myself. I start to learn some associating theories around some things that I learned from other people later on. Well, there's that, the 12 tribes of Israel, right? To each of these. There's the 12 Zodiacs. There's the 12, yeah. yeah. Uh, 12, 12, apostles, but, 12 apostles. So there's a significant of 12. It's also perspective orientation. Are we looking through it? Or are we looking up? Or are we looking down? Like, what is the perspective of what we're looking at, right? So if you're looking down, is that a table? Is that a Knights of the Round Table? There was 12 of those too, I believe. Or is this a cog to a wheel? Are we a wheel within a wheel? So then you've got Ezekiel's wheel. So there's, And then you got the yin and yang, and then the four corners of the earth. And then there's so many different symbolisms in here. But the fascinating thing that I know from the point of my life prior to December 21st, 2018, is I knew nothing about consciousness, nothing about time travel, nothing about all the spiritualism and interdimensions, multiple dimensions. I knew absolutely nothing about it. And because I was nuts and bolts, science and, and UFOs and machines from MUFON over a thousand cases. That was it. And I had this feeling that there was something more. And I kind of asked during the winter solstice, which was a coincidence, it wasn't intentional, it just happened to find that out. And that's coming up in three days. So I'm always weary around this time. Yeah, it's the, what, the well, shortest day of the year, right? Mm -hmm. And there's something significant about that. I've even had an astrologist pull up my birth chart and there's some significant stuff around this time of year. So there's something in the stars there, but these are things that I've learned after the fact. So this is why I believe that this image was not meant for me. It was meant to bring people together. This table concept, I resonate with. Maybe these are people that I need to support the experiences because these symbols also represent the seven liberal arts of science. So you got geometry, you got mathematics, you got music, you got cosmology, you have them all there. And then the five color circles represent the elements, earth, air, wind, fire, water, and the signs of the zodiac. So there's a lot of things. And then I'm, I'm working on a page to slowly present my evidence and my research in that, but, but I'm doing it delicately because I'm a professional <laughs> and I still have to run a private investigating company and all these other things and not have that shut down. But I am 
safe among some friends to start sharing my personal experiences and some of the research that I've done around this map without changing the criteria, such as making it into three dimensions so that we can view it as if it was three-dimensional and separate it and play it based on some obvious shapes, some a circle within a circle or some triangles, you know, all these familiar things and then put them together. And then I start to see what looks like a stargate. So if you could imagine the yin yang being hollowed out and then underneath it, maybe a pyramid, because there's a triangle there, could be a pyramid, right? So the yin and yang is meant to describe how the sun and the moon kind of chase each other in a sense, but it's transparent or it's a plasma in a sense, like it's impermeable. You can go through it. It doesn't exist. You can't see it. So if you imagine by actually removing it and you have that circle, then you see a pyramid and then you see this cog wheel that looks like a stargate, then you get this idea of portals. And then when you take in, in a perspective, looking at it in the fourth dimension and then the fifth dimension where you mirror image it, you start to see this idea of this flat plane and then higher consciousness and lower consciousness, middle earth and all these other dimensions. So there's multi-dimensional work that has been done on that, that I've learned from not changing this map. And all of that is creative thought. That is ideas that have come, that is information that I've learned, but the root of it is as an experience is I know, I don't remember making it. So these coincidences for me to meet new people in the present to have it associate with things that didn't make sense to me, like putting a Zodiac on it and having it line up in sequence with my birth chart. These are things that I didn't learn until I met an astrologist. And I didn't meet an astrologist until he saw this symbol, until he saw this sign and then wanted to ask questions. And that's where I get What's your astrological sign? I'm a Gemini. Okay. So neither here nor there for me. I don't know what that means. Well, so I have two personalities. I can, I'm good and bad. I'm in the middle. The best place to be is being a unbiased investigator as a Gemini, because I can go either way based on the evidence. So I believe everything, but believe nothing at the same time, you know, believe in all the possibilities. So these are all things that I, I subconsciously knew, but didn't really point it out until it was brought to me. And then these things click. So then the thought is, okay, well, maybe this is my higher conscious just put together some artwork during a time of crisis, you know, and then this is normal. Or the government sent out a signal and I just happened to intercept it during the shortest day of the year while my wife was doing Reiki, opened a portal. Like there's so many different things that are circumstances that could have happened. And that's where belief comes in. What do I choose to believe? I can't really believe in any of these things until I know for sure. And the only thing I know for sure is that through my experience is that I knew none of this stuff prior to that. And then this event changed my way of thinking, changed the ultra spectrum classification system that I met, changed my approach into managing the business and the people that I want to be associated with. It gave me ideas. It gave me inspiration. But is that a result of just one single epiphany or was that the future interfering with the past to change the future? And that's where that idea of me believing it to be my higher self, perhaps from the future, being 36 years old, I'm talking maybe I was 80, 50 years from now. Imagine how we're evolving 50 years from now. Maybe time travel is possible. Or are we going to go into another dark age and do a reset? This is where I go off the cuckoo's nest in a sense, because here I am trying to be a nuts and bolts and follow the stats 
to provide answers, but this is why I do it privately because I'm also doing it for myself as well as others, but I'm also putting myself at risk. So if I'm crazy, then we have a lot of video testimony to support that. (laughs) If I am someone from the future, then someone's going to stop that because I just made that aware. If I'm just, I was high, you know, super high that night and I decided to be artistic and I drew something from things I already knew. And then these are coincidences. These are all possibilities. But the constant for me is until this map came to fruition, every time I result on it, every, everything that comes from Experiencers Anonymous, there's EA, which is another word for the Sumerian god Enki, which is the water god. And then Tessa is in there. East is in there. There's so many different things that have connections to it. And I think that these symbols and these colors are the instructions. I just have to figure it out because I'm a puzzle guy. And when I work through these associations, I put this in a 3D model and I set a rule of of a depth. So that way it would be a constant based on a rule of three, because I don't want to manipulate the object. And that 3D image appears to be what looks like a UFO above a black pyramid. So there's so many things within the thing. So all the conspiracy theories fit through consciousness with this symbol. But is that a coincidence? It could just be your subconscious putting together all this stuff too. Who knows? Right. And even if it did that, that's quite impressive for the subconscious mind to be able to do that. And prior to that, I couldn't comprehend how that worked. I couldn't understand how it was possible for any of these things. And then I have this experience and I know through personal experience, it's possible, but now I'm insane. Now, what do I do with it? And I'm no different than any of these experiencers that I'm helping. And that's the major challenge is I'm not just studying these people to understand why they're the way that they are. I'm trying to understand why I'm the way that they are and try to find out what do we have in common? Because I share characteristics in this category. I have blonde hair. I have blue eyes. I have these certain blood type. I have certain medical conditions that apply to all these other things. Where do I fit in this too? I'm at a point in my life where I have to come out. I have to explain it because I can't ignore it. I can't deny it. But I'm smart enough to not accept a belief until I get fact. I didn't get visited by an extraterrestrial. I didn't see a UFO, but something happened to me and I can't go back to that. So by looking for help for them, I'm looking for help for me. Definitely a fascinating discussion. And we'll definitely have to have you back sometime either in January or February so that we can pour over the results once you compile the last two years of activity and investigations that you put together. So thank you again, Ryan. You're welcome. Thank you. If you enjoyed this video, hit like and subscribe, and I'll see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.